in my heart and doesn't look away knows my secrets and loves me anyway who walks on water and opens up a grave yes you are you are a friend of sinners your mercy is a cleansing river washing over me forever oh well good everyone how are we all right are you still in a food coma that was horrible good morning everybody all right very good glad to have you with us today my name is brad if you're a guest with us welcome we're glad that you're here worshiping with us today as we begin our time together i want to read some scripture to us we're finishing up here the month of november rolling into december christmas season but as we just come off the hills of thanksgiving i want to read for us psalm 108 verse 3 psalm 108 verse 3 says i will give thanks to you O lord among the peoples i will sing praises to you among the nations i want you to notice something really interesting in that scripture so so David here is thanking God, right? But, but I want you to notice he's, he's thanking the Lord, but look who he's doing it around. Look who the audience is, among the peoples, among the nations. He's talking about those who aren't followers of God, who are lost people. One of the real reasons that we thank God is not just because he's worthy of it, not just because it's good for our own souls to be thankful we do it for the good of those around us, especially those who see us go through times of difficulty. When the world sees Christians go through times of difficulty, 
thanking God. That's one of the reasons that they look and think, well, there must be something to this. Right? There's got to be a reality to this now. Right? They, they, they're thanking God even though life is hard. I thank you, O oh my Lord, among the peoples. I thank you among the nations. Because we want to proclaim to them how good God is. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. I want us to begin our time together in prayer. And this, this actually ties in really nicely with what we're going to be looking at in the scriptures in just a little bit. As we look at um, how um, we are changed by Jesus Christ and are witnesses in the world. And one of the ways that you are a witness, one of the ways that you, you, you serve as a witness to the lost world around you is by thanking God. So for you, what do people know you as? Do they know you as a thankful person, your friends, your family, your co-workers, your neighbors? Do they know you as someone who thanks God, even though times might be hard? Lord God, I just pray for us here this morning. As we begin our time together worshiping, as we uh, seek, Lord God, to just um, set our hearts, our minds, our focus on you. I pray, Lord, that you would well up in us, God, thankfulness. And not just for our own good and not just because you're worthy of it, but so that the world around us will see us worshiping and thanking and praising you because you're good, even if times are not. We trust you, God. We thank you. Do this in us today as we worship, as we sing, as we pray, as we dive into your word. Make us thankful people as we see your goodness. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. Let's stand and magnify the name of Christ together. Let's sing.
rejoice cause you're there too I won't be fooled by feelings I'm more fast to what is true If the cross brings transformation Then I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just the doorway To resurrection life If I join you in your suffering and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth we celebrate not just ideas about Christ not just what he's done for us but we celebrate the living savior church right we celebrate the personhood of Christ and so as we sing as we celebrate as pastor Brad said I want us to reflect on who Christ is not only what he's done for us but how he is glorified in our lives and just the personhood of Christ, how glorious, how amazing, how wonderful, how merciful he is. And if you're here today and you don't know that you are a believer, maybe if you've never submitted to the Lordship of Christ, I encourage you to listen to the saints sing. These psalms don't save, only Christ saves, but I pray that he would work in your heart and he would turn you from confusion and darkness to the glorious light of the gospel. Let's sing.
Well, as we praise God and think about how holy and amazing our God is, what a great transition into a time of prayer for us here this morning. Again, as we think about the scripture that I I read to you earlier, Psalm 108, I will give thanks to the Lord. Among all the peoples, I will sing praises to you among the nations. The idea, again, is that, yes, you, you thank God because of who He is. You praise Him for who He is and for what He's done. And you do that because God is just worthy of it. You do that for the good of your own soul. But there's a, a third part of that. You thank God. You praise God. You worship God. For the good of the lost world around you that's watching. Uh, in just a few moments, we're going to dive into our scripture. And, and that's going to kind of be the big idea. The world is watching. And so how you live actually matters. And, and I want us to think about that and again in terms of thankfulness and praise. Um, for you, just a question to ask. Just to kind of think through and ponder here in our time of prayer before we jump in. The people around you, your friends, your family, your co-workers, your neighbors, your Facebook friends. Do they know you as someone that's full of thanks and praise and faith? Or do you present yourself more as someone who is anxious, fearful, Argumentative, unthankful, always quick to give a piece of your mind. The world is watching, and how we praise God, how we thank God, how we walk by faith in God, especially in times of difficulty, proclaims the gospel to them. That there is a great and amazing God, and that I do belong to Him, and so I can trust Him. It's, it's you being thankful is... A, a tool of gospel witness, a tool of evangelism. So, <clears throat> so I want to ask you to bow your heads for me here this morning. And I just want us to start by you just kind of asking this one question and letting God work in your heart for a moment, and then we'll jump into the scriptures. God, search my heart. Am I a person that exudes thankfulness at all times? Or am I a person that exudes fear, anxiety, anger, frustration? Ask God to show you. Don't ask you because you lie to you. Ask God to show you. Ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you. Any areas in your heart, any areas in your life that may not exude thankfulness and praise and worship to God, to those around you, but might actually proclaim something else. Just Let's just start there. Just ask God if He'd be so kind as if there is anything to reveal that to you.
Father, I just pray for us here this morning. I, I have no doubt every person in this room, or at least I know I have personally, have been convicted just thinking about this. So I pray, God, that you'll just start there. Just show us, God, what's in our hearts. We can't deal with it if we're not honest about it being there. So let us just start there, God. Reveal to us in our hearts anything that may not exude thankfulness and praise and worship, anything that might exude instead fear or, or selfishness or anxiety. Pray, God, that you'll begin by showing us that. And then by your grace, walk us through your word, Holy Spirit, and show us the answer. We ask you to do this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Titus chapter 3 together, all right? Titus 3. So as you're turning there, let me ask you a question just to kind of ponder as we jump into our time together here in the Word. So when you got saved, Right? When you got saved, you realized your sin and Jesus dying on the cross for your sin. You asked Jesus to take away your sin. He, he made you new. and You became a Christian. Question, when you became a Christian, why didn't God just immediately bring you on up to heaven? I mean, that's where you're going. I mean, that is where your eternity is going to be. If, you know, you uh, got saved at... 25, you're going to spend the rest of eternity in, on, in heaven. Why does God make you stay on earth for another 50, 60, 70 years? What? I mean, surrounded by sin, surrounded by pain, surrounded by death, surrounded by temptations to try to get you to walk away from God. Why did he keep you here? Why didn't he just say, hey, you believe in me? That's awesome. Come on up, right? Be me up, Scotty. Why didn't he do that? Well, I think one of the reasons is we're going to tackle today is God has you stay on this earth post-salvation so that you can show the rest of the lost world what a changed life in Jesus Christ looks like. Right? So you can proclaim the glories and goodness of God that changed a sinner like me. So that One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is Jesus comes off a boat and um, a, a crazy guy comes running out of the cemetery. This dude is nuts. He lives in a graveyard. Um, he cuts himself constantly. He's filled with demons. Um, he, uh, he's so freakishly strong that they try to chain him up. He just breaks the chains. People created a long way around to where they need to go so they don't have to walk past him anymore. Dude is psycho. Right? He's crazy. Jesus shows up. Crazy guy comes running out of the tombstone. Right? Right? He comes running up. It's in the Greek. You can't see it in English, but that's what he said when he came out. So he comes running up. And Jesus, boom, saves him, heals him, delivers him from the demons right on the spot. Boom. And that's the story where, where it's, you know, he talks and, and the demons say, you know, we are legion for we are many. And he's like, I'm going to cast you out. And they're like, no, 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 don't cast us out. Send us into the pigs. So he sends them into the pigs. The pigs go running down into the water, right? That's, how, that's the whole story. But I love this part. So after all of that, the townspeople uh, get really upset that um, uh, the pigs are gone. 
right? A guy just got miraculously delivered from demons, um, but, but my pigs were dead. So anyway, um, the, the townspeople are like, you got to get out of here, Jesus. And the guy who's now in his right mind comes to Jesus and says, let me go with you. And wouldn't this be great? I mean, wouldn't this guy just be, absolutely, yes, you got to come with me. Sure. A guy asked me to follow Jesus, but Jesus tells him no. You know what Jesus says instead? No, 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 don't come with me. Go back to your hometown and show them what I've done to you. That's what he said. Go back home with all the people who know your crazy side and, and show them what a life changed by Jesus looks like now. Jesus is setting up here a model that true gospel witness is about you being changed by Jesus and living changed by Jesus. And the reason that you live differently than the world is because you've been made different by Jesus. Jesus has made you different, therefore now live differently. And as you live differently, as you show yourself as different, the world sees that and thinks and realizes, oh my goodness, there's something real about this. They can debate this point and argue that point. But what they can't do, and I love this. This is why testimonies are so significant, why we do a lot of testimonies around here. They can debate the validity of doctrinal points and the Bible and does God exist. People can debate that with you all day long. What they can't debate with you is the fact that you used to be that and now you're this. They can't take that away from you. And the whole point is this. That is the greatest apologetic. That is the greatest evangelistic tool. A life changed. If any, especially if you became a Christian later in life as an adult and people tried to share the gospel with you, right? You've ever had this, like you didn't get saved as a kid, but you, you know, didn't grow up in church and you're an adult and now, you know, that weird guy at work is trying to invite you to church, right? That's how it happened for you. That's right, and so he's sharing the gospel with you. You did not become a Christian because you lost an argument. If you, became, if you became a Christian as an adult, I guarantee what happened to you was you had people around you that were different. They lived different. They didn't act like you acted. They didn't respond like you responded. Their families weren't crazy. And you thought, man, maybe there's something to this. Right, you, you live different so that people were drawn to that. And this is what we're going to see today. You're left on this earth, one of the reasons, for you to glorify God by living a changed life so that people see that and turn to Christ as well. So Titus chapter 3. We're going to do the first seven verses today, all right? So Titus 3, 1 through 7. Titus 3, verse 1, remind them. So this is Paul talking to Titus and telling Titus what to tell his church. All right? So basically Paul is doing some sermon prep with Titus. All right, Titus, you're going to show up at your church. Here's what you need to be preaching. All right? Here's what he says. Remind them, the congregation, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But 
When the goodness of and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All right, so we're going to break this passage down into two categories, all right? How Christians are to live differently and why Christians are to live differently. All right, so first we're going to tackle the how. How are we to be different? What about Christians is different than non-Christians? All right, that's number one. And then second, we'll tackle the, well, why is that? Right? Why are we different? What makes us different? All right, so first, the how. How are Christians different? We're going to get that in verses one and two, okay? So he tells them, remind them. And I love just real quick that word remind and it's in, the, in a tense that means it's ongoing action, remind. And so what I get from that is, as Christians, we need to be constantly reminded how we should live. Which is why church is important, and Christian friends are important, and reading your Bible is important, because you and I, we need to be reminded. You know why we need to be reminded? Because we forget. We forget have you ever done something and the Spirit of God convicted you? And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to do that anymore. Oh, that's right. we got to be reminded. It's not a bad thing. It's actually in the Bible. It's okay if you feel like I'm always having to be reminded of, to, to live this way and not do that anymore. you got a verse, okay? Be of good courage. Don't beat yourself up. God wants to remind you because he wants you to walk out who you are in him. So, what are they to be reminded of? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. All right, so we're going to dive into verses 1 and 2 until it gets too convicting, then we're going to keep moving on. So, let's break it down into four quick categories, all right? Number one is this. We must submit obediently. So look at that first part there in verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient. The word submissive means to voluntarily place yourself under someone's authority. To be obedient means to obey. Right? Do the thing you're told to do. That's not complicated. We get that. Submit and obey. Gotcha. Here's what I want us to tackle. Who we are told to submit to and obey. Rulers and authorities. This is a clear reference to the government. Submit and obey the government. Now, for these guys, that would have been the Roman Empire. Caesar as emperor. And how they're called to obey and submit is different how, to how we are. All right, And we need to understand the distinction. This is why context matters. Right? In this letter, Titus, first century, Caesar is not only emperor, he is considered God. In fact, Christians are going to be murdered because they refuse to call Caesar Lord. Right? So he calls himself God and expects others to view him as that as well. And what he says goes. What he says is the final authority, and you are to just obey him. All right? That's what they're being told to do. For us, in um, United States of America in 2022, rolling into 2023, we're not in that situation. We are different. 
right? We are in a constitutional republic. That means we get to disagree with leaders. We get to have vigorous debate about policy. If we think an elected official is no good, we get to fire them through voting for someone else. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's not unbiblical. That's not bad. We need to understand one of the things that gets Christians in trouble. We saw this World War II Germany. As you deep dive into the history of Germany, World War II, and, and, and the, the Holocaust, one of the real driving factors was the Christian church in Germany misunderstanding what the Bible meant by submit and obey your leaders. Right? When they should have, men like Diedrich Bonhoeffer that stood up and said, no, 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 that's not what that means. He's evil. we got to stand against this. The rest of the church said, no, 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 but the Bible says to do this. They misunderstood. All right? We do have the opportunity as people living in a constitutional republic to have a voice and to disagree and to have debate and to vote people out of office. We can do all of that. However, what the Bible is telling us here is there's a way to do that that is godly, and there's a way to do that that is ungodly. There's a way to do that that shows honor and respect. The Bible tells us to respect, to pray for, to submit, and to obey those who are in authority. And we can do that as followers of Jesus Christ. So how does that look? What does that mean? So <laughs> um, I'll, uh, I'll use me as an example. All right, so, so for me, uh, I am, I fully admit, I'm a political geek. Love it. Love it. I'll just sit and watch C-SPAN. I just I'm geek out over it. I love policy. I love how the sausage is made. I just love it. All right, I, about 20 years ago, uh, we actually, I really debated hard about leaving ministry and actually going into to politics, going into the government. I really debated that because I just love it. Right? And so for me, not for you, for me, this isn't the Bible, this is me, it's me, I'm looking at the camera. For me, I'm a conservative, right? That's who I am, right? Politically, economically, socially, I'm a conservative. I believe in conser- classical conservative principles. I think classical conservative principles, uh, policies, ideas are the best way to ensure flourishing for our country, our society, and our world. I think it's a right thing. I'm for that. And that's the direction that I, I don't lean like I fall, right? That direction, all right? I, I'm all in. And I'll be honest, I think it'd be a good idea if you were to. All right? I'm just going to throw it out there, okay? When you get saved, we baptize you. If I could, I totally would be like, great, you're baptized. That's awesome. Here's a Bible, and here's a subscription to the Ben Shapiro podcast. You should listen to that also, right? right here's, a, here's a Bible study in the Gospel of John, and here are some PragerU videos you should watch. Right? If we had another kid, I would name him Clarence Thomas. All right? I'm all in. Right? I'm all in. I am a conservative political geek. However, though, here's the problem. Here's what happens for my team. I'll just, I'll, I'll yell at my team. What we do is we'll go to conservative media outlets, right? Radio, TV shows, podcasts. We go there for information. We go there for insight. We'll go there for commentary. 
But what we'll do is, in the process of going there for information, we also pick up their ungodly, rebellious, divisive, wicked attitudes. And instead of just walking away with information, we walk away with that stuff as well. And then we walk out into the world carrying that spirit. So that everyone who disagrees with us is the enemy. And everyone who disagrees with us wants to, you know, end the country and kill us and end our rivalry. We just, we, we immediately go, because we got to understand, people who are in the media, they make money off making you freak out. You have to understand this. They are not your friend. Right? They are not your friend. You are not going to make your, their Christmas list. They are not here to help you. They are here to make you lose your mind. That's what they do for a living. It doesn't matter what station you watch. Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, any of them, especially the, the, the primetime shows, right? 8 o'clock on. They exist to make you lose your mind. They make money off this. I mean, if you've turned on those stations tonight, someone on TV just said, you know what? Here's the truth. The truth is, none of this really matters. Truth is, Republican, Democrat, they're all crooked and they're all best friends behind closed doors. They're all getting paid by the same people. Truth is, they're not going to do anything crazy because their power is best concentrated when they do nothing. So don't worry. All the stuff that everybody's telling you they're going to do, they're not really going to do it. They're just, they're just propping it up to make money off the base. Don't worry about it. Tell you what, turn the TV off, go to sleep, you'll be fine. They're not going to do that. Why? Because they'll be fired. They make money. They make money off how many people tune in because they're convinced if I don't watch this show, we're all going to die tomorrow. They only want to see us divided and hate each other. That's how they get paid. The Bible is going to say, as Christians, even Christians living in a constitutional republic that gives us the opportunity to disagree and debate and, not, and, and, and kick that guy out of office and really push for this guy and campaign for this, it allow, we can do all of those things. But we have to do all of those things in a way that's submitted to and honoring Jesus. How you, here's, here's what Titus 3, 1 and 2 is going to tell us. Ready? How you engage the government. How you talk about the government. How you talk about especially things and people and policies that you find, not just you disagree with, but you think are evil. Who is the emperor when Paul is writing this? A guy named Nero. You know who Nero is? Google him. He was a homicidal maniac. He was the guy that threw Christians to lions for sport. He would take alive Christians, tie them to poles, stick them in his garden, cover them in tar, and then light them on fire to light his garden as he walked through it at night. That was Nero. And that's the guy Paul is saying, hey, remind them to submit to and honor that guy. Remind them to obey that guy. 
how we respond, especially when we have a gut-level, visceral reaction to what they say and do and think and believe and push, how we respond, then that is going to really speak volumes to the world. So we are to submit. Submit and obey. Next, we have to serve eagerly. It says there in verse 1, be ready for every good work. We as Christians must be ready for every opportunity to help and bless and care. We're to be known. You're to be known in your neighborhood, at work, at school. You're to be known as someone who's always serving and always blessing and always going the extra mile and always looking for opportunities to care for someone and help someone. You're looking for every opportunity to do good. Christians will make an impact in this world by just seeking to constantly do good. Not seek to always win the argument. Not seek to always be agreed with. But seek to do good. It's actually not complicated. Just seek to do good. Next, we must speak gently. Verse 2. Speak evil of, what's those next words? No one. I'm going to let that just linger. Avoid quarreling. It's a really interesting word in the Greek. It actually is kind of a, it's a command to the negative. It literally, it literally translates out as um, be a non-fighter. Don't be a fighter. Don't be a quarreler. Don't be a debater. Don't be that person. Be gentle. Speak evil of no one. Don't quarrel and fight. Be gentle. And here's the thing when I, when I read this. What, what comes to my mind is, is not... All these feel like response things, right? And so if you're going to speak evil of someone, it's probably because they did something evil to you. If you're going to quarrel and fight with someone, it's probably because they started it. If you're going to be harsh to someone, it's probably because they were harsh to you. What you see here is not so much, and this is for me, so I'll just, I'll just speak for me. One of the things you're going to learn, one of the things that I, I, I use this for is therapy. So, I'm joking. Um, for me, my sin, very rarely am I going to start something with somebody. Like, I can't, even, I can't even remember a time when I did that in my life. Where I just like, someone was just standing there by themselves and I just went up and picked a fight with them. Like, my brain just doesn't work that way. Right? I just, I don't do that. Here's the sin that I do commit. I respond horrifically back when they do it to me. My first response is not gentleness. My first response is not always humility. My first response is not always grace. It's very easy for me to fall in to what Titus 3.2 is telling me not to do. Don't speak evil of anyone. Don't be a quarrel and a fighter. Be gentle. And again, look, he, in, he on purpose ties this in and really corners us in. Speak evil of no one. No one. In the Greek, that means... No one. 
There isn't a single person on earth that you are given the right by God to speak evil of. How crazy is that? How contrary to the way we think is that? Well, you know, I just got all mama bear. No, you, you got all sinful. No, you just, you just broke a commandment is what you did. Right? You, can, you can try to pretty it up. You can try to make it nice. It's much better for our souls if we just read the Bible and submit to it. Stop trying to make yourself the footnote you're not. Stop trying to make your situation the exception. It's not. For me, the way I respond to situations, man, it's got me in so much stinking trouble. I come back and apologize, and I'm sorry, and I shouldn't have responded that way. How we speak. How we speak. And then the last one, there to show humility, that last line there in verse 2, to show perfect courtesy toward all people is what the ESV says. You may say something like humility or humble yourself. The idea is to all people you are seeking to place them above yourself. You're putting yourself in the back of the line always. You're always seeking to lift someone else up, put someone else in front of you, care for someone else. God will take care of me. I'm not worried about me. I'm just trying to help other people. Be courteous, be humble, be be, be helping and pushing forward all people, even those who are unkind, even those who are rude, even those who are mean, even those who, all of them. All of them. Again, the way he describes this there, speak evil of no one. Show perfect courtesy toward all people. Avoid all quarreling. Be always gentle. This is what he's called us to. What I want you to see here is as you read through how Christians are to live differently, how we live differently, I want you to notice what is not mentioned there. What's not mentioned there is how well you can explain the gospel. What's mentioned there is not you memorizing the Romans road or the four spiritual laws or the ABCs of the Christian faith. It has nothing to say here about how you tell someone to be a Christian. Now, is that important? Of course it is. The gospel literally means good news, good information. You have to speak it. Ephesians 6, Paul asked his church to pray that he would have boldness to open his mouth and speak the gospel as he should. Yes, it's important. But I want you to see the foundation here in Titus 3, 1 and 2. It is not what you say about the gospel. It is how you live changed by the gospel. This is what matters most. We put too much emphasis on what I should say to someone. Have they seen your life changed? Do they see a different life? The point of our Christian witness, the reason God keeps us on earth post-salvation is for us to live our lives in such a way where people look at us and say, I may disagree with what he thinks about God. I may disagree with what he thinks about Jesus being the only way to salvation. I might not agree with any of that, but I can't deny the fact that that dude is different than everybody else. That's the point. You live your life in such a radically different way that it gives an opportunity 
for people to ask, so what is so different about this? 1 Peter 3.15, in essence, says, be always ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Uh, That word defense is apologeos. It's where we eventually get our English word apologetics. Um, And apologetics has grown and developed into the discipline in the Christian life of of being able to defend the gospel, right? To, to be able to, to, to make that defense. When people have um, a, a question or an accusation or, or, or pushing it about, the, about Christianity, you're able to give that defense. Here's the problem. Um, 1 Peter 3.15 has nothing to do with any of that. Like literally nothing. 1 Peter 3.15 and the defense for the hope that is in you that is mentioned there has nothing to do with you being able to articulate the ontological argument for the existence of God. Nothing. What is 1 Peter 3.15 talking about? Read it. I encourage it. 1 Peter 3.15 says, So when the world reviles you, and hates you, and mocks you, and mistreats you, and tries to harm you, you respond in a way that's filled with such hope and joy and peace that they can't help but ask, why are you like that? And then you can say, because of Jesus. The great apologetic is not you winning an argument. The great apologetic is you living a different life. And if you can't live a different life, shut up. Please. Some of the people that I've seen in my life who are the greatest apologists, who can make the best arguments and the best defenses, are jerks. They don't love Jesus or people well at all. But man, they are good at asking questions that other people don't know how to answer. That's not what the verse means. What we see in Titus 3 is that you are to live in such a radically different way that the world around you looks and says, why are you like that? And why aren't you mad? And, and, and why don't you talk back? And, and why don't you tell that person to get off? Because I trust Jesus and he's made me new, so that's, that's not what I do. So that's how we're different. We're, we're different because we, we, we respond differently to the government. We, we, we seek to, to, to be constantly doing good works where we respond in gentleness we speak in gentleness and we're always humbly putting everybody else in front of us and so as we do that over and over day in and day out constantly people begin to see something different in you you're not like other people you don't live like they do you don't respond like they do and so they look at you and say what is different and that's when you get to explain the why and that's where we get in verse three why are Christians so different? So you live differently so that people ask the question, and when they ask the question of why are you like that, here's what you get to say to them. Verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, 
whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So when we live different, and they ask, why are we so different? We get to focus on two things. One, we get to focus on our past. You get to say, like in verse 3, oh, no, listen. <laughs> don't, don't get it wrong. I ain't always been like this. You get to share your testimony. You get to share your story. Again, they can debate things with you. They can't debate your changed life with you. So Paul's like, look, here, tell them this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You can tell them, dude, I was jacked up. I was a jerk. I was arrogant and prideful. I was mean to my wife. Ignored my kids. Focused on me. I hated everyone, and you know what? They all hated me too. This is who I used to be. Be honest. There's something powerful about remembering who you used to be in Christ because it gives you a lot of compassion on people who are still there. That's important. Remember who you used to be before Jesus so that when people who don't know Christ or anything like that, you can go, I remember. I used to, I used to do that too. Yeah, I know. And I didn't get out of that because someone yelled at me. I got out of that because Jesus Christ made me new. Which is where we get verse 4. So that's who we used to be. But now you've got to remember your great salvation. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You get to tell them, yeah, look, I used to be this, but by God's grace he saved me. And I'm not new because of some good thing that I did. I'm new because God in his grace saved me. The Holy Spirit washed over me, took away my sin, made me new. I'm redeemed. I'm regenerated. I'm made righteous because Jesus has done this in me. You get to say, this is what God has done in me. When you live differently, you open up the opportunity for you to explain to people what has made you different. The reason many of us never have opportunities to explain the gospel is because we don't really live lives much changed by the gospel. There's nothing radically changed or different about our lives to make people look at us and go, man, what is, what is up with that guy? How does he, how does he stay so calm? How, how, how does he not shoot back? What is, what is up with him? How can she be so at peace with all of this happening right now? What are they doing? It opens up the opportunity for you to explain. So here's who I used to be. I wasn't always this way. But here's what Jesus did and he changed me. And, and like I've told you, if, if you've been here for long, you know there are, there are several kind of 
uh, lines, nuggets that I throw out a bunch. Just kind of things to help us think through the Christian life, right? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you all the time that heaven is not a place for people who don't want to go to hell. Heaven is a place for people who actually love and worship and obey Jesus, right? Just because you don't want to go to hell doesn't mean you go to heaven. Just because you're afraid of hell doesn't mean you go to heaven, right? Just because you're afraid of hell and you believe some basic truths of Christianity, Jesus died on the cross, buried, rose again, that doesn't make you a Christian. James says even Satan believes all of that. The question is, have you been truly, legitimately changed by Jesus? I, I tell you all the time that Christianity is more about the heart than the hands. Right? It's not about what you do and manipulating your actions and trying to be better. It's about Jesus changing your heart. And as you allow God to change your heart, your actions are going to follow. You will obey God. Your heart will be changed, and now you'll want to obey God. Your hands do what your heart wants to do. So you need to change your heart so that your hands will follow. And I tell you that every issue is a gospel issue. What do I mean by that? Every issue is a gospel issue. We see that happening right here in Titus 3. You being a good Christian witness is not about you trying to be a good Christian witness. You being a God-glorifying witness in your family, in your neighborhood, at school, at work. How you do that is by you setting your heart and your mind and your affection and your attention on Jesus Christ and His gospel changing you. As you see how God has changed you and made you new, you live different. You're no longer like that anymore. You're changed. So as you see things in your life that may not glorify and honor God, you see things in the first couple of verses there in Titus 3 that, that are convicting, like, oh, I don't think I'm very good at that. The answer isn't, well, try harder not to be that. The answer is the gospel. See how you have been changed by Christ meditate on verses 4 through 7 in Titus 3. Go home and read that over and over and over and over. That's your homework. Titus 3, 4 through 7. This is who I am. But God, when His grace and mercy appear like a sun in the sky, He saved me. And it wasn't because of good works that I did. Because of his mercy and his grace and his Holy Spirit washing over me, redeeming me, making me right, making me holy, making me regenerate, making me new. This is how I'm different. So God help me. And so then, and then as we see things in our life contrary to that, how do we fix that? What do we do with that? I was having a conversation this week with one of our guys who is a um, former military guy. And he was talking about some training that he had some some special training that he had gone through. And um, one of the things that they did, one of the schools they sent him through, was driving, like a s- special you know, defensive driving and offensive driving. He said, you know, one of the things I learned that was just such a spiritual parallel I've been carrying with me my whole life, he says, one of the things we learned is if you're in a skid, like if you're spinning out of control, car's out of control, don't look at where you're going, look at where you want to go, right? If you're spinning towards a tree and you keep looking at the tree, guess what you're going to hit? The tree. So as you're going towards the tree, look at the road. Look where you want to go, and, and your body just starts to, you got a much better shot of going that direction. But if you look at the bad thing that you're heading towards, you're going to inevitably hit the bad thing. Look where you want to go, not where you're going. What an amazing spiritual truth. 
This is the gospel meaning everything to us. This is what I mean by the gospel is the answer to everything. Don't look at the sin and where you're going and how you keep failing. Don't keep looking at that because you're going to keep going that direction. Look to the gospel. Look to Jesus. Look at him. See the sacrifice he made for you and what he says is true of you. Keep looking to him. you got a much better shot of your life going that direction. Look where you want to go, not where you're going. Every issue is a gospel issue. How are you going to be a greater witness? By you looking more deeply into the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he's made you new. And then you just start living that. And then opportunities are going to come up for you to explain. Here's what happened. Jesus saved me, and he can save you too. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me, and our band's going to come up. And we're going to end our time together here today with a song called The Blessing. And, and here's what I want us to do as we end our time. Um. The great thing about this song I love is that it, it talks about what God thinks of you, which is so important. The most important thing in your life is not what you think of you, not what your friend thinks of you, not what your spouse thinks of you, not, not what anyone thinks of you. The most important thing in your life is what God thinks of you. This is Allowing the gospel to be your answer. You don't need greater self-esteem. You need greater God-esteem. You need to see God for who He is and what He thinks of you and says of you. You need your focus to be there. Look there. Draw your attention there. And as you do that... And your heart is soaked up more and more and more in the gospel of who Jesus says you are by faith in Him, now you're empowered and allowed to live that out more so that people can see a changed life. So as we end our time here today, we're going to stand and sing. And I just want you to focus in as we sing on what God says of you. This song is just from the Bible. It's just straight, straight Scripture. Let God's truth wash over you. What he says is true of you. And let this drive us to be more in love with him and be more changed by him for his glory. God, I pray that you would do this in us. We need you to do this. We're lost without you. Let us see you, Jesus, for who you are. Let us look to you and not the stuff that we're going towards. I pray your gospel will change us and make us new so that we live different so that people can can ask why and we can explain. Do this in us, God. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
We have our big three announcements for everyone so everyone can know what's going on. First, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. That's going to be beginning here in December. Uh, Lottie Moon offering is the money that we take up every December for international missions. It, every 100% of it, every penny goes out. We don't keep any of it in-house. It all goes to missions. And so be in prayer as to how you can give for that, what that might look like for you and your family as you we ask you to sacrificially give for missions this Christmas. Uh, second, Christmas brunch for our ladies. That's December 10th at 10 o'clock. Ladies, you're going to want to sign up for that, buy your tickets. You can go out this door right here and buy your tickets. It costs $15. Don't forget that. You're going to love it. One of the best events of the year we do here as a church. And so we encourage you to be a part of that, ladies. Buy your ticket as you head out today. And then lastly, we're going to be decorating for Christmas this week. And so if you would like to buy a poinsettia to uh, have up here and then take home with you, you can text the word FLOWER to our number to, to do that, take care of all of that. You can take that home after the Christmas Eve service. For everything else, all our other announcements, you can download the app, iTunes or Google Play. Download our app. Stay plugged in. You can give online or give in the giving boxes as you leave. Whatever works best for you. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your life, your love. We thank you, God, that you change us and make us new. And I pray, God, that we would live changed by your glory, for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week. The storm of pain.